We find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and go like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely red Oh, yeah. And well, the future is always uncertain. Whatever but more uncertain now. Uh, listen, Blue Ivy is six years old. Beyonce's vision. She tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, if you black, don't go to Louis Vuitton today. In five. That's why you need to take Three, a meeting with two. Kanye West, Bernard Arnault. Hello, and welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. My name is Sean P. McCarthy, and I am joined, as always, by my esteemed co-hosts. Steve Jeffries. Yogi Polywol, Andy Palmer. And so, as the United States inches towards uh, vaccinating its population against the coronavirus, there is expectation that maybe by the summer, there will be something of a so-called return to normal, where people in the big cities can once again regularly experience the soul-crushing meat market of swipe-based dating apps. And uh, our billionaire subject today is one of the people who seems to be benefiting from that, the co-founder and CEO of Bumble, Whitney Wolf Hurd. Uh, and to discuss her life and her product, we are joined by one of my favorite comedians, co-host of the Reply Guys podcast, and author of the new Audible audiobook, Dirtbag Anthropology, Kate Willett. Kate, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And uh, before we start, did you just have any particular opinions on Bumble going into this podcast? I hate Bumble. <laughs> I, it's my least favorite app uh, for dating. I, I would... I would choose Tinder and all its horrors over Bumble any day of the week because <laughs> what I'm not looking for, like what I'm trying to avoid in my life from this moment forward mm -hmm. is like more lazy dudes nope. and Bumble is like the lazy man's dream. Like it's enabling, <laughs> right? So it's just like, <laughs> I don't, it's, it's just like, yeah, I'm a guy that doesn't want to put forth in any effort going on this app so i'm i have tried bumble i did not like it whatsoever never gone out with anyone uh on bumble in real life um so yeah not not a fan whatsoever well that was the only appeal to me when i joined uh, yeah. <laughs> doing as little work as possible yeah yeah so. i mean i'd go on there if i were a guy <laughs> <laughs> i mean i've never i've never uh done a date or gone on a date with anyone on bumble because it's uh maybe not my crowd like at least from a guy's perspective, um, every other profile has a picture of someone in a yacht uh, with the implication, hey, uh, you should have one of these. <laughs> Seems like the girl, like the girl boss app. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, I'm, you know, dating apps are all pretty bad, but I, I usually generally use Hinge if I use any of them. Sure. It is one of those things where like the dating app economy is so fractured. Like in my mind, I don't I like I know people meet on there and then have successful relationships and stuff, but the entire system seems so fundamentally broken. It's like someone being like, Yeah, no, the American academic system is good to learn. It's like I don't think that works necessarily just as much as dating apps work <laughs> for finding someone. I think it's a great way for people who love to quote The Office to meet each other. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's like one of those things where everyone who's quoting The Office thinks that no one else is doing it. Yeah. Uh, like it's a sign of originality that like one in five people are doing. Yeah. 
Uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't no, take. don't do this. Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> Michael Scott. Hey, bonus points if you get the reference. Hmm. I've seen that maybe about... The bonus points if you get the reference at the end is yeah, the icing I, on the cake. Gross. I just I just used my super like after you said that, Andy. <laughs> but yeah, so the subject today, Whitney Wolf Heard, to just kind of give you a general overview, uh, probably most of the people listening to this have some experience with Bumble. The innovation as opposed to Tinder and these other, you know, swipe right, swipe left dating apps is Bumble. The woman has to make the first message. Right. So you match and then you know, women have to go through the experience guys go through, which is thinking of something more clever than just, hey, or what's up. Um, and, you know, as Kate mentioned, this has been a, a great innovation of, of patriarchy was to brand this as feminism <laughs> by uh, forcing women to do all the work and, you know, pay for dinner and everything else. I don't think the hey and what's up uh, threshold has been crossed for the most part. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Why why mess with the classics? Are most people still doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all I know is Bumble's the number one dating app to find people that storm the Capitol and snitch on the FBI <laughs> to them. That's definitely true. <laughs> that was cool, honestly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. There's this news story that I guess somebody was arrested and in the indictment, federal prosecutors put a screen cap of him admitting to his Bumble match that he was <laughs> at the Capitol on January 6th, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. which is... You know, you can only imagine if the what it would feel like to have a woman swipe right on you and then report you to the FBI. <laughs> you know, in, in the old days, you would have to be married to a woman for mm -hmm. years before oh, yeah. she would report you to the FBI. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you see his picture, too? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I did it. Was he cute? No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Was it the animal skin guy? Uh, animals? I no, no, it wasn't that guy. It was a guy with like long, long uh, sideburns and like, I mean, he looked like every fourth goon in like a biker gang. That's what the cat looked like. He caused the words fat Wolverine to trend on Twitter. <laughs> That's how he looked. Um, and I, I mean, what, what's incredible about that is like you look at that picture of him and then you think the person who swiped right on this guy sure. reported him to the FBI. Right. Yeah, the, was was like surprised by what he had to say about storming the Capitol. It's so funny to me because it's like, have you ever used Bumble before, buddy? You really thought the women on there would <laughs> like the fact that you stormed the Capitol? Well, so the guy's name's Robert Chapman, and he's, I guess, from New York. But I think the best thing about it was he is bragging about storming the Capitol. And the last message from the uh, woman in question just says, we are not a match, which what a <laughs> yeah. great way. Just like, I'm out. <laughs> but so Whitney Wolf heard uh, just some quick, fast facts about her before we, we start uh, her general life biography. Uh, according to Forbes magazine, she's worth about four point or one point three billion U.S. dollars as of April twenty third, twenty twenty one, and this is because Bumble has just in February twenty twenty one had their IPO. Uh, so she's quite the rich woman. She was uh, born on July first, nineteen eighty nine. Um, and I know I've been doing this podcast too long when the billionaires are starting to get younger than me. This is getting <laughs> very <laughs> annoying to be the old guy talking about this woman with more money than I will ever see in my life. Um, <laughs> but in addition to Bumble, uh, the dating app, they also have a friend matching service called BFF. Right. And they have a business networking service called Biz, B-I-Z-Z. -Z. So there will be a lot of uh, B puns throughout the course of this episode. 
I want to issue a correction. The fat Wolverine was actually uh, Ted Cruz. I apologize for misleading any of our listeners. Andy, how dare you? <laughs> but so uh, Whitney Wolf heard um, she currently, as I mentioned, is the CEO of Bumble Incorporated. It operates both Bumble and another dating app we'll talk about a bit called Badoo. Uh, she founded Bumble with a Russian billionaire who we will also talk about a bit. His name is Andre Andreev. Uh, she co-founded it in 2014. He was, uh, his stake in it, he used to own the majority, but he was bought out by Blackstone in November 2019. Uh, Whitney Wolf Heard owns about 13% of Bumble, just over 21 million shares, mm -hmm. and together, Bumble and Badoo operate in 150 countries with 42 million monthly active users as of third quarter 2020. And those are all just fact, fast facts from Forbes magazine. Yeah, from my research, I found out that she was born in Salt Lake City, and her dad is Michael Wolf, who is a private land developer, and there's not much else about him, and his mom, her mom's reported as Kelly Wolf, a homemaker, and there really isn't much about uh, Whitney's childhood, except that in fourth grade, her family took a sabbatical to Paris, France. Like, in countless different news articles, it just says, in fourth grade, she just goes to France. And there's not much of like a more rich person move than like, yeah, for a couple of grades, we just were in a nice European country for a little bit. Yeah, my, my, I, I grew up humbly. I mean, my parents took that thing. Um, what's the word where like you can take a year off and not get paid and it's fine. A sabbatical. My parents did a sabbatical in France. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that connects uh, France to her life now, because she didn't speak French, she's not like a person that operates in France, but before she created Bumble after her lawsuit with Tinder, which we'll talk more about later, at one point she was going to name her female-focused uh, business networking uh, app uh, Mercy. Uh, uh, th thank you in French. Um, but mm. that fizzled out, but then what Bumble Biz is is what Mercy was supposed to be. That Mercy... I know I'm saying mercy wrong, but the moment I said it, I'm like, I know it's not not mercy. What? How am I? How am I pronouncing it wrong? Mercy? What? I'm confused. Mercy? Like, like mercy? Mercy? Yeah. You know what? I, I, the I, app never existed, guys. I can call it whatever I want. I'm gonna say Yogi's right because if if you're an American and you're like looking at all the dating apps and there's one called Mercy, like that's gonna attract a very specific group of people <laughs> that may not be what they're looking for. There was a dating app. I don't, it definitely didn't end up being one of the billionaire ones, but there was a dating app that like branded itself as like for people that had been like just completely rejected on every other. <laughs> yeah. just whatever is left. It's like the, yeah, exactly. It was like, the I forgot what the name was, but it was something like not perfect or right. whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it didn't, didn't really take off actually. Cause the people on it didn't like each other either. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bad business model. Yeah. It is interesting that the French word for thank you is that thing that they never practiced throughout the global south. <laughs> right. Uh, but to start the general biography of Whitney Wolf Heard, kind of talk about her life, um, I don't think it's being unfair to say that she was born a rich kid. Uh, according to her official Wikipedia, she is the daughter of a wealthy property developer uh, named Michael Wolf. And we mentioned her sabbatical in Paris, France, generally not the kind of thing you get to do if you are not the uh, child of a wealthy property developer. Um, but so there's a couple different biographical sources that I went through for this uh, episode. 
Probably the most prominent one that I'll quote from is a 2016 article in Austin Woman Magazine by Emily Laskowski. Uh, and the title of it is Whitney Wolf is bringing feminism to your phone. Uh, and there's a lot of B puns in this. So perhaps I'll just quote, you know, two paragraphs of B puns, if you guys can stand that. Uh, Whitney Wolf, the 26 year old founder of Bumble, launched the social discovery platform heralded by many as the feminist dating app less than a year and a half ago with her core staff of six women working feverishly from Bumble's headquarters in downtown Austin, Texas. Wolf and her team zip and zoom from one task, one milestone, one breakthrough to the next. And all of that movement is generating a lot of buzz. Wolf is, forgive the pun, a busy bee. She checks her phone intermittently between movements, responding to emails, texts, and phone calls. Buoyancy is a strength. She bounces between Bumble's outposts in London and Los Angeles, where it's standing room only for technology startups, yet anchors her team in Austin, away from the swarms of stinging competitors with plenty of space to consider the myriad decisions she must make for her rapidly expanding company. Austin, she says, gives Bumble the freedom to spread its wings and fly. Yeah, those uh, those puns go down like honey. Yeah, they did. They did so many of them. So many of them. Yeah. There's also the thing you see in the background is a cat. I don't. I didn't grow a tail or anything. Yeah. For our audience, she has a cat scarf that is lovely. Yeah. The writer is meeting their word count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the article continues. You won't believe how much tax Ugh. avoidance this company Ugh. engages in. <laughs> but so the article continues. She's born in Salt Lake City, as we mentioned, 1989. Quote, she spent her early childhood years in an environment more pastoral than metropolitan. Hmm. She's quoted as saying, imagine not seeing a person's house unless you literally walked for two minutes. Everything was on its own spread, and it was every child's dream. It was this wooded, secluded type of childhood. And what that means is I grew up in a really big house. Yeah, yeah. Where you had to walk two minutes before you saw the other house, basically. I don't know any place that isn't you walk a few minutes to see another house. Like, I I get that the point is like... You know, you don't walk across a hallway to see a neighbor like in a major metropolitan city, but in any general suburb, you have to walk a minute or two to get to someone's house and it's not necessarily a mansion, but it's an odd way to describe your childhood in terms of how you grew up. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned, Michael Wolf, a wealthy property developer uh, who was Jewish, was her father and Kelly Wolf, who was Catholic, was her mother. Uh, She attended the Judge Memorial Catholic High School until uh, fourth grade. Back, uh, quoting from the article again, by the time she turned 11, her parents moved the family to Paris specifically to instill in their children a sense of the world. Wolf was placed in a non-English speaking school and immediately immersed herself in the culture. And then after a couple of years, they moved back from Paris, France to uh, Utah to Salt Lake City. Uh, and this uh, becomes one of the most difficult times of her life, according to this article. Mm. Uh, the transition back home to Salt Lake City proved more difficult than it had been to leave. Quote, I wouldn't get invited to birthday parties. Here I had just come home from living in Paris. I've seen half of the world at age 12 and I was an outcast. So, you know, every billionaire has a struggle story. I like thinking, you know, she's like 12 years old and she's like, yeah, I've seen half of the world, you know, and people are like, let's definitely not invite her to this birthday party. <laughs> yeah. And she only went to one place. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Paris, Salt Lake City, that just about covers it. <laughs> I've already seen half the world. I mean, I've been on two sides of the world, so. Right, right. Just imagine these like young girls talking shit about her being like, she's so worldly. (laughs) (laughs) We are not going to share our Coca-Cola classic that we have by the case for uh, because our church has stock in them for whatever reason. (laughs) Uh, But for uh, Whitney Wolf Heard, things would improve a bit by high school. And then in college, she attends Southern Methodist University, which was her mother's alma mater mm-hmm. uh she apparently was a member of the kappa kappa gamma sorority and she majored in international studies and in addition to b puns this uh, austin woman's magazine article has a couple uh i think amusing anecdotes about whitney's life and one of them happens in college uh during the bp oil spill in right. late april 2010 uh you might know the Deepwater horizon drilling rig uh, suffered an internal explosion and gushed, you know, millions of gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico. And at the time, Whitney says, Matt quote, Damon was in that, right? Yeah. Uh, at the time, Whitney says, quote, I was really upset about all of the animals they kept showing on TV that were covered in oil. Do you remember that? They were just doused in oil, unquote. Uh, While efforts to contain the BP oil spill drifted along, Wolf brainstormed ideas that would benefit the organizations trying to protect the affected wetlands and wildlife. Uh, One morning while talking to her mother, who had just come from yoga class, Wolf had an epiphany. I was like, perfect. I'm going to make yoga bags, bamboo tote bags, and I can get every girl on campus to carry them. I was in a sorority and I knew that everyone carried a little bag to school. She finds a local organic eco-friendly distributor and then she starts selling these uh, bamboo tote bags via Facebook. Right. Uh, by the way, if you want to like uh, get the, the um, significance of her growing up in Salt Lake City, take a, take a close look at the Utah State flag. Just like bring it up on your phone uh, and look at, uh, right, right in the middle of it. And uh, Are you asking us to do that right now, Andy? I mean, you guys can't. This is mostly for the listeners. If you don't know what I'm talking about, what are you talking about? Look at the flag. I didn't memorize. I didn't memorize what the flag looks like. I didn't know this was going to be on the exam. Andy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Utah flag. Oh, it's all about the bees. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Huh. So it's it says Industry Utah, and then it has a picture of a, a beehive in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a big Mormon thing. Is that they're like we're like bees contributing. The hive is like a, a metaphor for the Mormon church. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Right. They almost called Salt Lake City Deseret, uh, which is like a quasi-Egyptian word for bee. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot like uh, beehives, the Mormon church has billions of dollars in hidden assets <laughs> invested into various yeah. property schemes throughout the world. $120 billion. Um, More on those uh, tote bags that Sean was talking about. She partnered with... Patrick Oftencomp, who would launch the nonprofit organization called the Help Us Project. And like, I just could you say that name again, Yogi? That's like a <laughs> fucking third generation sweatshop heir. <laughs> Patrick <laughs> it just has Triangle shirtwaist fire money when I hear that name. <laughs> um, and 
the if you go to the help us project and type in Whitney Wolf, it like leads you to WhitneyWolf.com, and it's a Tumblr for someone else named Whitney Wolf, I think. But um, if you you can see the tote bags to this day, and it has like pelicans and stuff on them. The bags were like photographed with celebrities like Nicole Richie and Zoe Casden uh, or something like that, and so they 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 were selling like gangbusters. But then she also created another clothing line called Tender Heart with Often Comp Again, which was to raise awareness around human trafficking and fair trade. And like, listen, I I, I mean, I might be going out on a limb here, but you know, she's a part of a dating app uh, empire. And like, I, I don't know about you guys, but it seems to me that like the global sex trafficking trade must use apps like this in one way or another. So the fact that she was raising money for this uh, at the age of 19 in college, but then now it was running a billion dollar empire, which certainly may or may not have roots into the sex trafficking industry is quite hypocritical, if you ask me. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll see a lot of different hypocrisies. And what I wanted to mention about these uh, these tote bags that she was selling for the BP oil thing, I just couldn't find out like anywhere what was done with any of this money, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's like, it could have been like she pockets 80%. I don't know. But, you know, it like the other thing worth mentioning here in terms of why this is such an important story of her biography is because this woman's a billionaire who uh the ceo being the ceo of bumble is the second job she's ever held in her life so you know it just kind of puts things in perspective yeah some people are just better than us that's right well you need to have an amazing feminist idea that's all it takes (laughs) (laughs) yeah this podcast is not nearly feminist enough we're taking one down right now yeah I'm trying my best to help you guys. I've come up with this new great feminist marriage app where you just let your husband play video games all day <laughs> and you just clean the house and make dinner. And yeah, Great idea, Sean. It's going to make you a billion dollars easy I think immediately. So. I think so. Did we mention already uh, something I learned researching this episode is that 73% of Bumble users are men? No, we haven't. Really? It's like, yeah, it's like any other dating app where it is mostly men, but they pitch it to women. I mean, like, hmm. we'll get into this when we talk about Tinder and uh, her role as VP uh, at Tinder. But, like, I don't know about you guys, but I think a good chunk of um, the online dating apps has got to be bots. Like, they've got some crazy number on Bumble because it's the number two dating app right now. And it's like a 80, maybe like 95 million people use it. And it's like, that just seems ridiculously high. Hmm. No, I think you're right. Well, they do. Bumble, like all of the other big ones, when you first join, they show you fake people. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Is it like to to get to show you people that are attractive, basically? Yeah, they, so they, they, show, you, they show you fabricated people. Uh, extremely hot people to get you to like actually interact with the app or possibly give them money hopefully to like to get a premium account or something yeah you can sign up for the bumble premium where it will exclusively match you with people who were at the january 6 riots at the u.s capitol (laughs) (laughs) i would i would get matched with that q shaman guy honestly (laughs) i i would fuck him i would not call him but i would fuck him yeah Yeah, pay for $5 a month, you can join, like, the Q Club or something. Or you can, <laughs> right. You can only see people who are certified participants in the insurrection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Patriots. I think there are dating apps that are, like, right-wing dating apps, but I don't know. You know, in response to the January 6th Capitol riots, Bumble used to have, you could 
uh, filtered by uh, political affiliation. And then after January 6th, they took that tab away. And it was partially because on Twitter, uh, people were reporting that in, there's a whole bunch of people in D.C. on dating apps right now, and they were a part of the January 6th movement. You just change your tab to conservative and you can match with these people and out, out, you know, out them exactly like what happened to this Patrick cat. And so, like, they realized, oh, this is bad for business at one point, and we're like, we got to take this tab off. And then people on Twitter were mad about it. They're like, this is the only reason I was using Bumble. I don't want to <laughs> match with people that aren't my same political affiliation. I think it sucks that you can't filter on dating apps by leftists. Like, you could, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I use Hinge, and you can filter by political stuff, but it's only like liberal conservative moderate or v- right. very liberal is like the most Other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they should let you filter by podcaster yeah really into free market economics well i mean the thing was is that you and, know and gay marriage i fucking went on a date with this guy who said he was inspired by mayor pete and like that took me <laughs> on a commission <laughs> for a few He's weeks very liberal. yeah no he was very liberal it did i like i, I was so upset by this experience and i yeah. just yeah <laughs> yeah no, I know someone that like went on a date with some guy who uh, was in Long Island and she like went to him to his place and then him and uh, his friends that she was she, like she went to his place and him and his roommates were like really heavily into Trump and she's like, I'm going to walk home like I don't trust any of you and uh, it is very frustrating that because uh, uh, I read recently that the People now um, choose a partner based off politics more than race for the first time ever. So, like, basically over the last, like, I don't know, let's say five yeah, well, or some ten of, years. Some of us still do it the traditional way. <laughs> <laughs> but now for the first time, uh, they are less concerned about race than they are by political affiliation, which um, is an interesting shift in our in the way we work. But I do think that some of this comes, and we'll talk about this later, but some of this comes from like judging people off of one image or what they put online makes you just hyper-focused on like who a person is. Whereas before, like, you know, you might be like, they they cook a mean casserole and be like, I want to fuck that person. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to think of things that are things that you see on dating profiles. You know, if you hook up with a QAnon shaman, he won't make you breakfast in the morning because he eats via photosynthesis. Uh, but to continue on with the story of Whitney Wolf Heard, uh, probably my favorite anecdote from this little uh, article is about her time at a Thailand orphanage. And so I'll just quote a bit from this. During college, she had studied abroad for a year and had vacationed overseas with her family during the summers, but yearned to see things in a different light. Again, no class markers in in that. Uh, She says, quote, I just want it to be anywhere that was different from my own corner. I wanted to see it. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to taste it, feel it, think it, do it. I just needed to understand it. Wolf packed a backpack and hopped on a flight to Cambodia. I was desperate to understand what life was like for people that didn't have the good fortune that we all do here, she says. I wanted to understand that side of life and help do something. Traveling throughout Southeast Asia and sleeping in $3 a night hotels, Wolf eventually discovered an orphanage in northern Thailand, which she found herself returning to 
day after day to volunteer. Then one day she stopped. Quote, I'd go and be there all day and just kept saying, you know what, I have the good fortune of having an education. There's so many other capable humans here that can go and rock the babies and play with them. I have the ability to go home and do something that will touch all of these people somehow. I need to go do that because sitting here with the amount of education I have is actually a disservice to people. <laughs> so she's wow. essentially saying that it's uh, far more valuable for her to give back through her uh, massive tax avoidance dating app <laughs> than it was to volunteer at an orphanage in Thailand. I mean, don't criticize her until uh, you've taken a spur of the moment uh, uh, trip to to uh, a different country, to several different countries so that you can uh, really understand what poverty is. Well, she was so worldly after her trip to France. You know, she really understood the world economics after that trip. And that's why she wasn't invited to those parties when yeah. she was 12. I, I still would not invite this woman to my birthday party. Never. <laughs> Never. It is nice that she started with France and then saw all the colonies that they fucked up. Sure. Yeah, yeah true. right. Natural progression. But, you know, and that's like... When you have these kind of, we've talked about this a bit over the course of this podcast, these billionaire struggle stories, because they all get rich and then they do these interviews and they all have to come up with like, what was the struggle when you already grew up rich? And so you have these like little anecdotes that get blown up into like this entire origin story. And in this case, it's like, literally, I went and I volunteered at an orphanage in Thailand and was like, I'm too valuable to be here. <laughs> Any other schmuck can volunteer at an orphanage. I have, you know, a BA and my dad is a rich property developer. I need to be in a, a Silicon Valley startup. I had it's it so hard. I had to see so many poor people. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it, it like really does give you the mentality of these people. Like you just try to get inside the head of somebody who believes that you are doing more valuable work for the world if you are part of a massively overvalued Silicon Valley unicorn than if you're like helping impoverished people in an orphanage in the global south. Right. But nonetheless, she returns to the United States. Uh, she had uh, big dreams to start her own microloan business. Again, I'm quoting from this Austin Woman's Magazine article. Uh, but apparently she got a proverbial wake-up call from her father. Quote, my dad was like, no, good luck funding that. Get a job. You need a job, she remembers. <laughs> and so Wolf got a job at Hatch Labs uh, through a friend. Uh, she got a job at Hatch Labs, an incubator for startups in San Francisco. Wait, back up a second. Her So her doing good project was microloans? She wanted to start her own microloan business selling clothing, jewelry, and other artifacts <laughs> made by women from different parts of the world. So yeah, she wanted to do a microloan exploitation business. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that like a major cause of suicide in the developing world? Yeah. Is buried under microloans? Uh. Yeah. And like patriarchal exploitation of the women who take on the loans. And then like there'll just be some guy waiting to take the money from them, apparently. There's like a huge like UN report that exposed that like ten years ago. Hmm. I guess I guess it's probably better for the world that she made Bumble instead of doing the microloan <laughs> adventure. Yeah. It's using your privilege for good. Yeah. Like you realize um your your highest and best use as a person is not in the orphanage. It's it's doing this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Making it easier for HR uh, professionals to fuck each other. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, unfortunately, a, yacht, a lot of yacht guys have gotten laid from this app, <laughs> but better than someone committing suicide over a microloan. Hmm. 
Well, we're not completely out of the woods on that one, but <laughs> we'll we'll cover some stuff in a moment here that that might that might hint at some of that. Um, so after she 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 joins Hatch Labs. Hatch Labs is a IAC incubator, and IAC is the holding company run by Barry Diller and Joey Devine. This is the uh, a, uh, like home network shopping people, and they own like Ticketmaster and a whole bunch of other companies. Um, IAC owned the match network of dating websites up until J- July 1st, 2020. So although IAC no longer controls match, the lawsuits between match and Bumble were being orchestrated by IAC. And so if you guys don't know, match owns Tinder, OkCupid, as well as like 10 to 12 different other dating websites. Basically, Match owns everything but Bumble, and the IAC incubator that Tinder was a part of was where uh, Whitney Wolf would join, and uh, this is where the story of her and Tinder begins. That's so funny that you, in your head, you'll be like, I don't want to support Tinder. That's owned by an evil company. I'm going to support Bumble. That's owned by the Blackstone Group. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. largest corporate landlord on earth. And there's no getting away. If you want pussy on the side, you have to go through an evil corporation. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry to break it to our audience, but if you really want to destroy capitalism, you got to stop fucking. <laughs> but yeah, we'll do a future episode on Barry Diller, but he's also was the owner of the Daily Beast, and he gave Chelsea Clinton a bunch of no work jobs on various corporate boards for like half a million a year or something stupid like that. So he's a, a connected player. But so as Yogi mentioned, uh, she's working at uh, Hatch Labs, uh, this startup uh, incubator for startups in San Francisco. She worked on a series of projects, including an app that would launch four months later and eventually be called Tinder. She's credited for coming up with the name Tinder. I believe she was a VP of uh, marketing uh, Mm -hmm. for a while at it. Uh, But then eventually in 2014, she leaves Tinder and sues the co-founder as well as her ex-boyfriend for sexual harassment. That's a guy named Justin Mateen. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that we are shocking all of the listeners that the founder of Tinder is a scumbag. Yeah, I looked at like the Tinder lawsuit between Whitney Wolf and uh, Justin Mateen as well as uh, Sean rad yeah his name is sean rad what a stupid name (laughs) sorry Mm -hmm. um and like basically the you know there's a lot of nda so in any interview she doesn't talk about it but her payout after tinder was about a little over a million dollars and you can see the text messages that were sent between justin mateen and whitney wolf um from the text you get a pretty clear uh window to the fact that whitney wolf broke up with justin mateen and justin mateen just kind of flipped out you know these behaviors that uh, bumble banned in their <laughs> app basically uh just mateen will say shit like go talk to your 26 year old fucking accomplished nobody i will shit on him in life um <laughs> let's see sort of funny like the the founder of tinder uh behaved exactly like a guy who just got rejected on tinder <laughs> yes <laughs> yes just reflecting his customer base yeah. <laughs> um some of this is a little gross, but a lot of this, most of this is gross. I just want to give the uh, audience a warning. Uh, let's see. And so th- he's talking about a, a guy that Whitney's uh, dating at the time, who I think is uh, a Muslim. Uh, let's see if that homo can make money without daddy. I have five wins under my belt and in Hungary as fuck. And I'm the best father, the best husband. <laughs> so pathetic. I even imagined a life W.U. 
I actually thought you would be a good mother and wife. I have horrible judgment. He can enjoy my leftovers. Jesus. Yeah, fuck you. You are abuse. Um, it goes on. This is like real say, narcissist vibes. Hardcore yeah. narcissist oh, yeah. discarding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, it goes on to say things like, and hung out with Muslims that are not loyal who tried to do shady shut to me. I mean, one of the things you like, you look at these texts and like they're from 20, you know, mid 20 year old uh, Silicon Valley people and they're misspelling words. Like I know they're texting one another. They didn't expect these messages to be out in the public, but it is like it is literal teenage high school level text messages to one another. It is pretty gross. Now, when he uh, says Muslims that are not loyal, does he mean like, I think they're taking flight classes without learning to land okay all right um that seems to be what he's implying maybe um regardless after this she notifies uh iac as well as sean rad she lets sean know that she wants to quit but she doesn't know if uh, she's gonna get equity out of if she quits uh and in the last text between her and Sean that are on, on this Gawker piece, it mentions that like she's like, I've never quit before or even been fired. And Sean says, you don't get any severance. And then she says, well, I need to tell my parents first to make sure they will support me. This is why I want to talk to you. I don't. I need to do this rationally. Don't you get it? Like I might have to work one more month if my dad won't pay my rent. So could we discuss this exactly? I leave tomorrow, but I'll leave in peace for you soon. And Sean's like, your employment continuing is not likely an option at this point. Um, so these texts, as well as um, things that uh, we don't know from the NDA, is what lead to her suing Tinder and receiving one million dollars. And the main thing from this lawsuit is that they don't set up a like anti-competitive clause with Whitney Wolf after this, because she then starts Bumble shortly after this, and then kind of blows them out of the water. And so it's crazy how much of a gaffe this is. That like, hey, maybe don't have a former employee that's helped you found the company. Let you found a company that directly competes with your audience. Hmm. Yeah, it's like he didn't take her. He 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 had no uh, ability to think that she would even you know do something with it. Right, right. Oh yeah, one last thing, like. So she like was she wasn't listed as a founder originally, and then later on was in internal email documents. But then in like news articles, she wasn't being called a founder. And when she asked, "Hey, why am I not being referred to as founder?" Uh, Justin and Sean would say, "If we have a woman as a founder, we'll look weak, like just blatant misogynistic. We can't have a woman founder." What years? Yeah. That does sound like something I would say, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like. You know, if you look at what she does at Tinder, she basically goes to her former uh, sorority, uh, Kappa Kappa Gamma, and she takes photos of like the people that are at the sorority, takes those photos to Kinko's with like the Tinder UI, and then prints off a whole bunch of copies and then tells kids, hey, I'll go distribute this at frats and I'll give you 20 bucks. And that gets Tinder exploding at college campuses. So in a weird way it's like its own mini facebook where it's just like hey you want to have sex with these girls that are on this kinko's printout <laughs> join this app <laughs> yeah from um ellie magazine 
her actual job at Tinder, I, I misspoke earlier, she was the marketing director and mm-hmm. she did that for about two years. And kind of what Yogi mentioned there, she was um, kind of instrumental in helping it spread on in uh, college campuses. Um, and just a couple more things from the Justin Mateen lawsuit. Uh, he apparently called a mutual acquaintance of theirs a, quote, liberal lying desperate slut, unquote. <laughs> And he threatened that Wolf would, quote, regret breaking up with him, quote, once my tenderness for you wears off from your behavior, unquote. (laughs) I like that he threw in tenderness, right? Because it doesn't seem like a word that that particular guy would know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He he Googled it before. Yeah. We got to work on the brand name somehow. Yeah. If you know that this might be released in public legal documents, you want to kind of work in some name dropping. (laughs) Tenderness. Wait, also, yeah. mm-hmm. Sean, did you call it Ellie Magazine? Are you sure it's not L Magazine? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the thing is, there is an L Magazine, isn't there? Yeah. Like it's 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 spelled E L L E, but I would assume the L Magazine would be referred to as something differently as the Ellie Magazine. Oh, okay, so there is another. There is an actual Ellie Magazine. I didn't know if this was just like the dude pronunciation of L Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> It's entirely possible that I'm completely incorrect here. Look, this is why we had you on today, Kate. For feminism. Uh, so that somebody, yeah. yes, somebody would be able to call me on my pronunciation of L Magazine. <laughs> I, well, I'll have to check out Ellie. I haven't, uh, haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's uh, founded by Justin Mateen. Yes. To like, <laughs> rebrand his image. <laughs> People are like, this is like Elle magazine, right? It kind of reminds me of when Andrew Cuomo started the Women's Party in New York, the Women's Equality right. Party. <laughs> Politics what for girls. Guy. That vibe. WEP was not as popular as WAP. Yeah. So this is around 2013 when she's suing Tinder. And uh, although Sean said the worst part of her life was when she was 12, she in later interviews says that the harassment online from uh, people calling her, uh, you know, just basically online uh, harassment at her being a Yoko of Tinder is what occurs at this point. And she then marries Michael Hurd, who is a Texas oil heir. Andy, what are you laughing about? She's called the Yoko of Tinder. Well, I mean, like that is what, like you know, because like it had hurt their uh, their brand at that time. I think is what uh, she yeah, just fucked yeah, up the Tinder revolver. <laughs> okay, oh. all right. She she uh, fucked up the Tinder brand by tempting that totally innocent co-founder, a real snake in the garden. <laughs> right, right. Um, but she meets uh, Michael Hurd in Aspen on a skiing trip. Here's what's interesting. She says this is the worst time in her life. She was just in a closet doing nothing. But then she also is in Aspen on a skiing trip where she meets Michael Hurd, who then becomes her now husband. Uh, the story with her in Aspen is she goes up to a guy eating lunch at the lodge and he's like, I don't know how to ski. And she's like, I'll teach you. And then she skis down the mountain as fast as she can to show off. And he skis next to her backwards going just as fast. I don't know how true this is. I don't I don't really trust it. But the weirdest thing is that the way that's that's really relatable though that kind of meeting in Aspen skiing origin story. I think we've all been there. Yeah, I mean, so. A few months later, though, uh, or about a year and a half later, he this is how he proposes to her, which I find very odd. They are meeting in Texas, and because he doesn't have his regular truck, they have to take an older one with no AC, and they do a four-hour drive in the Texas heat. They stopped and got fast food, 
And then they got to his parents' ranch, and then he's like, let's go on a hiking trail on horses. And she's like, I'm I'm not that good of a rider. He said, it's going to be fine. I'm going to take a quick shower, but you don't have to take a shower. You should just put on this fishing shirt and button it all the way to the top for bugs. And then they go on this horse ride. After an hour, they got off to stretch their legs, and he gets on one knee and proposes to her. So he tells her, after a four-hour-long drive of just being hot and sweaty, put on a giant fishing shirt, and then I'm going to propose to you. Just an odd way. She has, like, McDonald's diarrhea, too, while it's happening. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, he takes a shower, and she's like, he takes a shower and is wearing a nice white button-up and jeans. And it's like, I don't know, there's things like this that I'm like, I... I don't trust this guy. I'm not, I just, okay, I don't often accuse people on the show of, of being gay, but I think this guy might be gay. It's just a really weird way to be like, hey, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend now by making her miserable for seven hours and then being like, here's a ring. We're getting married. Actually sounds very um, heterosexual to me. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm going to take a shower. You don't need to. Yeah. Right. And she's <laughs> like, maybe I will. And like, no, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he is, as uh, we may or may not have mentioned so far, a uh, oil heir from uh, Tyler, uh, Texas. Hurd's grandfather, Bob Hurd, started Hurd Producing Co., and they own and operate more than 400 oil and gas wells. I have not found any official heir uh, net worth, but uh, as of right now from his restaurant in Tyler, uh, his net worth is between 10 and $15 million. He goes back to like great-grandfather is like Texas oil... Right or yeah, I don't know if it's a great grandfather. I think it's just Bob Hurd. His grandfather started Hurd Producing Co. I mean, he's got oil in Texas. He's linked to money for till you know his his kids, 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 kids are gonna have money. If you know what I mean. He's descended from a character from There Will Be Blood. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. He uh, he charmed Whitney by telling her the story of how his grandfather met with LBJ in Texas the night before JFK was assassinated. <laughs> Yes, that is the level of money this guy comes from. Damn. Um, uh, Operation Mongoose money. <laughs> I liked um, this anecdote from either L or LE magazine by Amanda <laughs> Fitzsimmons. Uh, Whitney Wolf gives this quote, which is like not necessarily wrong, but kind of hypocritical here. Uh, as as Wolf will tell various reporters and influencers throughout the day, Bumble's ultimate mission is, quote, empowering women to correct the fact that connecting is broken uh, she says quote misogyny is the epidemic of our generation gesticulating for emphasis such that it's hard not to notice the rock on her left hand her intended whom she'll marry a week later in italy is texas oil scion michael hurd of course there are lots of diseases and really horrible struggles outside of that but i see misogyny as a world issue it's what creates and sustains wars it propels some of the most atrocious behaviors what makes me excited is that we can do something about it and i just like uh, a woman married to a texas oil heir talking about what creates and sustains wars yeah right that's uh, very true this will be the uh, interview where i am uh really giving ammunition to all the critics of feminism okay great great <laughs> but to uh, uh jump back into her uh post tinder story uh and to jump back into the austin's uh woman's magazine article following her departure wolf found solace in her experiences with the people she had met in places like the orphanage in northern thailand 
uh, I would imagine slightly different life experiences, but she found solace with uh, with those people. Sure. And talks about, you know, why would I feel sorry for myself when I have uh, when I'm healthy? I don't have a terminal illness. I have a roof over my head and, you know, pretty big roof, I would imagine. Uh, she returns to Texas and uh, she's kind of in the middle of a, a PR storm at this point because of her lawsuit against Tinder. Right. You know, she's getting hit up by the Daily Mail and all that. But as part of this, she gets hit up by a Russian billionaire we mentioned at the top, Andre Andreev, uh, the CEO of Badoo, which was at the time the world's largest uh, and fastest growing dating platform. And uh, he emails her and wants to start another dating platform with her. I think initially, uh, according to Elle magazine, she uh, she wanted to start like post uh, Tinder. She wanted to start like a Twitter type thing that was like anti-internet bullying. Oh yeah, we mentioned Mercy. This yeah. was her original idea to start a uh, a platform where instead of hurling uh, 140 character insults, users would compliment each other. <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> I guess, I guess there was no money in that. Yeah, that was going to become the like business networking platform, which was female focused and more built on compliments than uh, Twitter insults, as we currently see today. And then Andre, this uh, uh, Russian billionaire who founded Badoo, the European dating uh, app, tries to get her to work for Badoo as their CMO. And she's like, I don't want to do that. I'm dealing with this Twitter. I'm dealing with this Tinder storm lawsuit. I, I don't want to join another company. I want to focus on my own thing. And so she kind of gives him the blueprints as to what she's thinking about. And he's like, wow, that's great. We should make that a dating app. And mm -hmm. then helps her found Bumble through through that those meetings. Uh, what's uh, CMO? Because all I can think of is chief medical officer from Star Trek. Chief marketing officer? Yes, okay. that's right, Kate. Uh, okay. I, I was going to say, I don't know. And then Kate said chief <laughs> marketing officer. I'm like, yes, that's right. I've always known it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what, what Yogi was going to say if he kept talking there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. She she initially turns down Andre. She's like, I don't want to do this. I don't. I'm. I want to get out of the dating game. And Would then you say her, she swiped left on him. Yes, oh, she no. swiped left on. Uh, he couldn't be less her style. Um, but then she talks about it with Michael Hurd, her her husband, and he's like, that guy's that guy's rich. He knows what he's doing. You should you should hear him out. And so then she eventually decides to go with Andre's ideas. And originally. Andre's cut of Bumble is 79% and Whitney yeah. Wolf has 20 and then 1% is split to the two other Tinder executives that came along to Bumble. Yeah, very even distribution of wealth there. <laughs> yes, certainly. And it's like, so there's this uh, very interesting Forbes magazine article that's published in August 2019 by Angel Ah Jung. I'm hopefully pronouncing her name right, but... Uh, she investigates and uh, writes an article called um, Sex, Drugs, Misogyny, and Sleaze at the HQ of Bumble Owner. Um, and it, it's just sort of a either irony or hypocrisy that the entire marketing campaign of Bumble is so built on, you know, feminism and empowerment and all this stuff. And the money is fronted by this kind of shady Russian billionaire we'll talk about in a second here who has a pretty toxic corporate culture at mm -hmm. the London office to the point where he's eventually bought out. Um, and we can just go through this article a bit here. 
Yeah, my, my favorite piece of dirt on Andre is this piece uh, in the Forbes piece where it says, while Badu's popularity grew in Europe and Latin America in the early 2010s, adoption was slow in the U.S. The American user base then was mostly Latino. Andre would complain when he saw too many dark faces on the app. He believed it lowered the value of the brand and made it look cheap, says a former employee who worked on marketing campaigns. Andre was always making it clear that white was better, says the former high-ranking executive. If someone were to arrive a little bit late to the office and they were Latino or African, he would make comments like, well, what can you expect? As if people who were not white were not hardworking. Andre denies this, saying diversity is at the core of our brands and values. So this dude's a piece of shit. I think we should take him at his word. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it is appropriate for the person with the number one dating app in Brazil to be extremely racist. <laughs> you know, from interviews prior to Andre getting kicked out of the uh, um, Badu and Bumble, you see Whitney Wolf saying things like, oh, he's, he's great. He's really smart. And then even after it comes out that this guy is a misogynistic racist, she's still like, he's always been nice to me. And it's hilarious that a woman that was like, Tinder is uh, uh, abusing me, fuck them. But this guy that's doing kind of the same thing at uh, Badu, well, I mean, he's decent to me and owns 79% of the company. So I can't really go against him. I don't know if this is a trend, but it seems like one where in the uh, post-Soviet Russia, like the average person may not be racist, but the average Russian entrepreneur <laughs> is wildly racist. <laughs> like somehow it just brings it, 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 it attracts that type of person from Russia, or at least they haven't yet learned like American entrepreneurs to uh, kind of keep that to themselves in the office. Right. Capitalism isn't fully developed there. No. They haven't <laughs> learned the main key of capitalism is to not say out loud the fact that you want white faces on your dating app. Rest in peace, Prince Philip. But to talk a little bit about Andre Andreeve, uh, and we'll perhaps follow up with a future episode because details on this guy are a little bit sketchy, as with uh, many people who made their money in Russia in the 1990s. Uh, but just from this Forbes uh, magazine article, he made uh, a small bit of money in some shady web companies in Russia in the 1990s. And uh, I couldn't find any direct evidence for this, but it's not a stereotype when I say almost certainly he was involved it, to some degree with the Russian mafia to make money in Russia in the 1990s. It's just a reality that, you know, there was so much chaos there that you had to have what was called a roof over your head to do business. And what a roof was, was a group of armed people who would protect you from getting extorted by either Chechen or Russian mafia or, mm. you know, whatever criminal gang was running around at the time. So, you know, you would imagine he has some sort of shady connections in his past. But regardless... He makes his money on these shady uh, web companies and then... Sean, did you know that those very same people made Donald Trump the president? <laughs> That's true. Uh, regardless, uh, according to Forbes, he was, quote, finally armed with some wealth and he decided to tackle the burgeoning online dating world. In 2004, he launched Mamba, a bare-bones desktop dating site for Russian users. At the time, Match.com was the world's biggest online dating service but hadn't yet launched in Russia. Mamba was free, but users had an option to pay in order to push their profile to the top of the site. Uh, Finam Holdings came uh, knocking and invested $20 million for a 90% stake. He then sold
sold the rest to Finam in 2006 for an undisclosed amount. In 2005, he began spending more time in London. Uh, he then launched uh, Badoo in 2006, a year before the launch of the iPhone, with the intent to reach customers in Europe. Uh, he obtained citizenship in the UK and Malta around this time. In 2010, uh, Badoo launched the iPhone mobile app. Uh, the following year, according to a former executive, the company went from 20 million user signups to 100 million in four months, mostly in Europe and Latin America, and had notched over 200 million in revenue. And this kind of overtakes uh, Match.com at this time is doing like a pay to sign up model, whereas he right. is doing the freemium model that we're all so familiar with, where you can use it for free, but you can pay more to like see who liked you or get your profile put at the top or whatever. Right. Uh, so because of the iPhone, he uh, he makes a lot of money on this Badoo thing. Wait, Kate. So the guy that um, said he was inspired by Mayor Pete, you met him on Hinge? I met him on Hinge, yeah. He was an entrepreneur as well. Um, I was, I'm not surprised, but he was like a, yeah, he was like a Brooklyn guy who I told him, you know, he said Biden was doing a good job. I told him that I oh, was man. a leftist, so I didn't really think so. And then he was like, you don't think Biden's doing a good job at all? And it's like, no, not really. And he's like, you know who I think is really great? Mayor Pete. And I was just like, this date is just going nowhere. And like, honestly, I've been on first dates with people that they're like, yeah, I'm addicted to drugs. And I'm like, yeah, we can definitely work with that. You know? <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> this Pete thing was a little too far. <laughs> I, you know, if it weren't for Mayor Pete, you probably never would have met him because... Have you seen how many times like Pete and uh, was his name Chasten have talked about how they met on Hinge? Oh, really? I haven't was, seen yeah. that. I know about Chasten. What I know about him is that he is um, an improv gay. Um, he used to oh, really? take oh, really? UCB classes. Yeah, and um, oh. is apparently a good improviser and cool. Um, we got to get like, him on the show. Much yeah, sweeter yeah. than Pete. So I don't know. Sure. Their their marriage seems very like. Um, not to be on too much of a tangent, but their their marriage seems like Jason is a person who maybe sees the best in people to the extent that he does not see that Pete is a sociopath. That's my theory. Kate, you know, if you had uh, taken that Mayor Pete fan home, it would have been an interesting experiment to see that if your cat would start attacking him. Well, actually, the guy that I went out with after him was afraid of cats, not allergic, afraid, phobic. And uh, mm -hmm. cats are very small. So I was honestly turned off by his cowardice um and <laughs> decided to take a break after a uh, double whammy of those two guys <laughs> makes sense whiplash yeah this is too much <laughs> he had a, he had a childhood traumatic experience where his parents dressed him entirely in cheese <laughs> and he was <laughs> swarmed by both rats and cats i asked him if he had ever been attacked by a cat or something and he said no and i was like well what are you afraid of and he's like i'm worried that they'll steal my soul in my sleep you know and i was just like this is i don't know i believe in some, some cultural thing i, I mean some shelter cats do that uh, they're just yeah. my cat's like up here right now she's so tiny she's just like even if she wanted to steal a soul she could not carry it you know <laughs> The guy, the guy had epigenetic trauma from being an ancient Roman soldier fighting against the Egyptians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but to kind of talk about the Forbes article, the two main 
uh, contentions of it are an environment of sexual harassment and racism at the London office. So we mentioned, you know, uh, Whitney Wolf Heard is working in Austin, Texas, but she's talking with Andreev in London two to five times a day. Uh, and it seems like most of the main decisions for the time that Andreev is there are being made out of the London office because, again, he's the 79% owner of this thing. So there's an environment of sex harassment and racism, but also the corporate structure of the parent is set up entirely around tax avoidance, like yeah. basically every multinational corporation on earth, you know, having all these uh, subsidiaries and parent companies in Malta and shit. So uh, we'll just kind of talk about that a little bit here before we wrap up. Uh, I guess to start with the sexual yeah, harassment. But this, one, this one gets you um, laid with dead-eyed professional managerial sex. <laughs> the uh, the Forbes article interviews a lot of former Badoo employees. Um, it quotes Jessica Powell, who said she served as the company's CMO. I was told to act pretty for investors and make job candidates, quote, horny to work for Badoo. Uh, she was asked to give a designer candidate a massage. Uh, she says female employees were routinely discussed in terms of their appearances. Uh, she says, if you disagree with Andre, you were called a sika, which means bitch in Russian, C-Y-K-A. Uh, so there's like, you know, a lot of different stories along that kind of, uh, of that nature. Yeah. Well, today when I was like researching, um, or doing some like research for the episode and, and reading the, the, the Forbes article detailing all the, um, sexual harassment in Badoo offices, like I had also just read, um, that that telegraph article about inside the sex cult um the the orgasm sex cult and i was having trouble like i was losing track of my mind like which behavior was badu offices and what was the sex cult behavior wait sure, sure. which orgasm sex cult was it one taste one taste yes one taste i know a lot about that not going to tell you on the podcast, but. <laughs> oh, it's that kind of you know a lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> had, a, had a lot of friends in there. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not like you just did a lot of research and you know some facts. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to hear this. Uh, Alice Bonazio was Badu's director of communications and public relations. Uh, she says that for women to get, for female employees to get ahead, they needed to quote, play the game. And the article continues playing the game in one case meant watching a video of an employee receiving oral sex from a prostitute. Ugh. Four former employees mentioned knowledge of this video. And one of them says she watched it at the urging of coworkers. A uh, spokesperson for Badoo dismisses the idea that a video existed. So it's kind of like this very fratty party culture in London, uh, which, you know, a lot of London startups and financial companies have this cocaine and hooker culture. At this point, that's like, that's 50% of like London GDP. Mm. <laughs> yes. It's, this thing is, is uh, trendy startups that force people into those things. So looking at this, it's kind of a, a he, he said, she said scenario where it's, you know, on one hand, there's a very specific, um, my employee, my coworkers, male coworkers pressured me to watch a video of another coworker uh, getting a blowjob from a prostitute. And the counterpoint is, no, we didn't. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and like at the end of the Forbes piece, uh, Wolf Heard is says like, she stands firmly behind Andreev. He's become my family and one of my best friends. Uh, flying to London from Texas around 15 times in four months 
Uh, she's never witnessed toxic behavior in the Badoo headquarters. And if she doesn't see it, it's not happening. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, that's the case. Obviously. Um, and then just to kind of continue with the uh, internal party culture, um, simultaneous with the growth, Badoo began earning a reputation for wild parties. One former employee recalls seeing photos of a gathering at a person's house encompassing, quote, half the company. Everyone was naked and doing lines of coke, and they were sending these photos over the internal email system. Uh, the photos and videos were uh, shared by an internal email list dedicated to, quote, non-work party stuff. They became a regular occurrence. A private Facebook group of about 200 Badoo alumni also contains references to the gatherings. Uh, quote, I wonder if current Badooers know of the after parties with prostitutes and cocaine in all their offices, reads one message in the group. Quote, I miss the days of ketamine-infused after parties in Badoo, writes another former Badoo employee. Yeah, it's so hard when you're at an office and you know that like the golden years of that office are are behind you. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a, I, it's kind of tough for me to, to land on a side here because, you know, on the one hand, I'm extremely against sexual harassment. On the other side, I also really miss ketamine infused after parties. So <laughs> I just feel really torn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there has to be uh, an office that finds a happy medium of yeah. like, you know, uh, non-abusive ketamine-infused after parties. Exactly. Feminist mm. ketamine after parties. You That's know? right. That's Where right. the woman is the one offering the ketamine to people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she pays for the ketamine. Yes, exactly. Imagine seeing the, the calendar invite on Outlook pop up for that. <laughs> K-hole. Yeah. <laughs> Happy hour K-hole by Friday at 5. Like <laughs> yeah, it has like five, a start five time. Five p.m. At... to four a.m. <laughs> oh, it's on a Wednesday. You can't do a you can't do a, an after work K hole on a on a on a weekend because people people tend to have their own plans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm so sick of these mandatory office happy hour K holes. Yeah, <laughs> I have an existential crisis and forget that I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's why you need a, a union at your workplace. To ensure that your cocaine and Russian hookers are uh, not done in a responsible manner. Right. Organic, fair trade. Exactly. And then just last thing from this particular article, to talk about the tax avoidance of Bumble. And as far as I understand, they're still doing all of this stuff. You know, like they pushed out the founder, but there's no indication that they've stopped Stop, with this yeah. particular uh, structural setup. Uh, so Andreev... Uh, he, from the very beginning, established Badoo's corporate structure and numerous offshore entities. In October 2007, he established Worldwide Vision LTD, which was the parent company in Bermuda, presumably to reduce its tax bill. Worldwide Vision and Andreev then created a dozen subsidiaries in the U.S., U.K., and Cyprus, the majority of which controlled his four dating apps, Badoo, Bumble, Chappie, a gay dating app, and Lumen, launched for the over 50 crowd. In June, he created Magic Lab as a holding company for the dating apps. Um, Andreev at uh, first says board meetings for Worldwide Vision are held in Malta, where the corporate tax rate can be as low as 5%, then later said they were in Bermuda. His explanation, Malta is where the company develops intellectual property. Uh, the article quotes uh, Tommaso Fazio, a tax expert at the Independent Commission for the Reform of International Corporate Taxation. He says it's a fairly common uh, tax avoidance structure unless there was a tax angle to this why would you strategize your business through malta incentivizing you know employees 
everyone wants to move. <laughs> yeah, right. That is, I mean, the Mediterranean is beautiful. And I hope we're not alienating our uh, one Maltese fan, Luca, because uh, he's, a, he's a cool guy. Uh, Badu documents filed with the British government also show yet another entity, uh, Rimberg International Corps, based in the British Virgin Islands, where there is no corporate tax, with Andreev as the ultimate owner. Uh, so, you know, they just set up, uh, we, we did an entire episode on, uh, uh, shell companies and offshore money that you can listen to in more detail, but they're just, you know, it, it's just always the, the bullshit with all these, we're giving back through corporate philanthropy, all these types of stories, or, you know, Whitney Wolf talking about feminism or whatever else, they're engaged in massive tax avoidance that result in the underfunding of social services that people rely on, and, uh, this is the game that they all play, all these billionaires with their multinational corporations. Yeah, and from various sources, uh, Whitney has said, uh, Andreev took a chance on her when no one else would, and that without him, the Bumble journey wouldn't have been possible. I'd found from one source that to develop Bumble into what it was, it, it would have cost around $10 million. Uh, but since uh, Badu and Andreev had invested into Bumble, they I think took care of the back end. I mean, I know that the uh, Austin, Texas team must have worked on it, but I think that a majority of the coding in the back end was done via the Badu uh, core group that was brought on by Andreev. Yeah, yeah. The um, uh, Forbes article seemed to indicate that it was kind of a hostage situation where, uh, in order for Bumble to be developed, they had um, there wasn't a an engineering team really in austin mm -hmm. or there's just like a skeleton engineering team and most of it is components that were developed for badu get repurposed for bumble but as kind of a power play uh they keep all of those engineers in london oh interesting yeah yeah i mean it seems like he really kind of andreev kind of threw this all together he had his like corporate office in london he gave whitney the the money to start this thing up so you know i don't want to I don't want to come off as sexist by saying Whitney didn't do any work to earn her billions because really no billionaire did any work to earn their billions. <laughs> and she's quoted in this uh, this Forbes article talking about, you know, how um, Andreeve uh, leveraged Badu to allow Bumble to launch into the market with force. So he like mm -hmm. really put up a lot of the capital that that went into this thing. And she says, quote, I don't think I could have stomached a bunch of men judging me at that time. Like if she had had to go on, go on the road sure. and like do a, a venture capital raise to get Bumble mm -hmm. off the ground. I could have done a friends and family raise and gotten the money, <laughs> quote. This was more about his knowledge and infrastructure. So a common I'd, ra theme I'd rather deal with just one incredibly disgusting man than <laughs> several. Well, or my friends, and friends and family raise. I've done that. Uh, you know, <laughs> gotten a fucking. I used to sell C's candy bars for oh. my show choir. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got raised up to two hundred dollars <laughs> once. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah, just just below the the ten million dollar launch cost yeah. that I'm sure went into Bumble or whatever the exact number was. And so, because of this Forbes article detailing the sex harassment in particular, Andreev is forced out. You know, it mm -hmm. is like uh, a a PR black eye for Bumble, this company that markets itself as you know feminist and female focused, to have a toxic sex harassment culture in their London office. So he's forced out and he actually sells his 79% stake to the Blackstone group, 
which is like kind of a small irony or, or whatever you want to call it, because Blackstone just happens to be one of the most evil corporations on Earth. So they fixed their PR problem by getting rid of this like skeezy Russian sex harasser and replacing him with uh, the biggest corporate landlord on the planet that is engaged in, you know, massive theft of wealth from uh, people who've been uh, originally victimized by the 2008 financial crisis. And they're already, uh, according to news reports, Blackstone is salivating at the idea of buying up all these potential foreclosure homes that might come whenever they link the, uh, whenever they lift the eviction moratorium for the coronavirus. Right. Yeah, but like, are their internal emails respectful? <laughs> oh yeah. No K-holes at Blackstone. A different type of K-hole over there. Yeah, we did uh, earlier on. You can listen to it if you want more details. We did an episode on Steve Schwartzman, uh, who's the billionaire uh, CEO of Blackstone. Um, he gives this really disturbing quote about the uh, uh, company's strategy in the uh, financial crisis. Uh, he says it with regards to Europe, but you can apply it to the U.S. as well. He says they're, quote, waiting to see how beaten up people's psyches get and where they're willing to sell assets. You want to wait until there's really blood in the streets. And what he's saying is, you know, Blackstone is sitting on like one point X trillion dollars of quote unquote dry powder. They have all this cash on hand and they're just waiting for people to be desperate, to be forced into, you know, a fire sale where they're having to sell their assets to Blackstone for 10 cents on the dollar. And how they became, you know, the largest commercial landlord in the world was during the original 2008 financial crisis. Uh, where all these foreclosures, all these illegal foreclosures took place, Blackstone would buy up these single-family homes and then turn them into single-family rentals. And then they actually took those sing single-family rentals and uh, turned them into uh, securitized rental-backed securities. We've covered them before. Yeah. The uh, rent-backed structured securities... Uh, and then when those securities saw a big drop in rental income, Blackstone managed to convince the Obama administration to bail it out by providing explicit government guarantees for the higher rent it, rate at tranches. So, and this is um, uh, Nick Corbishley writes uh, in truthout.org about Blackstone a bit. I was just quoting from that article there. But it's like they get so much money from the Federal Reserve, from the federal government, you know, the, the CARES Act bailout. They've been one of the main recipients of it. They just get all this fucking money from the government and they can just sit there and wait for everybody else to get desperate and have to sell to them for pennies on the dollar. But these are, these are the ethical corporations you're supporting when you swipe right on Bumble now. That's why you always swipe left. Never have sex. Never. <laughs> just don't just I, do what I do. Don't support Blackstone. Look at someone's look at someone's profile. Judge it if it has anything resembling a cliche in it, and swipe left, and then um, go on with their sad life. Yeah, makes sense. That's fair. Don't fuck anyone who says my life is exactly like Larry David's. Don't fuck <laughs> anyone who. Don't fuck anyone who so much as mentions The Office. No. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, someone who's still looking for a partner in crime in 2021. <laughs> no. 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 Yeah. If you want to. Don't date criminals, guys. Yeah. Uh, if they're looking for a strong female, they're actually looking for the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Strongly, yeah. strongly traditional. Yeah. I'm just I'm just glad there are guys out there um, that to match up with the profiles that say I'm just looking for Larry David. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just funny because everyone it's like the office. Everyone puts it because they're like, oh, I'm so original. But it's sure. actually like every five profiles. 
<laughs> my favorite one was uh, fluent in sarcasm. Oh, really? Yeah, Great. fluent That's in sarcasm. That's another good to know. classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to uh, support ethical corporations, don't date. Just watch pornography. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Great. I only fuck people I meet on Twitter. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure that my partners have full brain poisoning. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And do you want to no plug? Yachts. Do you want to plug that, Kate? <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, I follow my Twitter is at Kate Willett two L's and two T's. Again, that's where you should go if you would like to fuck me. Um, and <laughs> Um, that guy, if you'd like Kate, to fuck Kate, uh, say that again. If you'd like to How fuck you spell me, that? yeah. Um, but if not, if you like The Office, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and Kate.Willett on Instagram. And uh, listen to my new audiobook called um, Dirtbag Anthropology um, on Audible. If you don't want to give money to Amazon, you could just do the free trial and listen to it there. But it's good. I got some... I got some socialist stuff in, even on that platform. So, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, that was a fun thing to write. And I also have a leftist feminist comedy podcast called reply guys. And, um, last thing I want to mention before we close out here is just how Bumble exactly makes money. We've, we've kind of only alluded to that. They do the freemium model, but they sell for seven 99 a week a variety of premium options which allow users to see like who liked them and increases their chance uh, to you know match with somebody uh, apparently they've got about 1.2 million users on this uh, premium model uh, and as I mentioned earlier it's about 73% males on Bumble still so that's like primarily the demographic that's that's paying for it here uh, but in addition to like the the freemium model, though it should be noted they've uh, settled two class action lawsuits about how mm-hmm. they made it impossible to unsubscribe from the premium model, <laughs> where like there's apparently one in California and one in New York where people were like, they didn't explain to us that it auto renews our premium and then they made it extremely difficult to cancel and they settled those for about 22 million. Yeah, on Twitter, if you look up Bumble lawsuit every now and then you see a person like outside of the Tinder and the other ones that is like, I just got $37 from signing up for Bumble four months ago. Why is this going on? Like they have no <laughs> idea what the reason they're getting a payout is. And then what I what I kind of wanted to mention was like the last note of caution for everyone out there using Bumble is now that Blackstone has like 79% or, or whatever it is at the current moment, uh, from this same truthout.org article I was quoting earlier, uh, they quote a Bloomberg article which says Blackstone is quote, exploring ways to monetize the client data of the almost 100 companies it has acquired over the years. Uh, Blackstone apparently owns Ancestry, uh, over 3 million people have uh, have sent samples of their DNA to Ancestry so that the company could tell them where their ancestors originated from. Uh, now those samples belong to Blackstone. So they could use your DNA if you submit to An- Ancestry. Blackstone has uh, your DNA for uh, data mining purposes. But also now that they own Bumble, I would imagine in addition to the freemium model, they're going to do the same kind of data harvesting you get from Facebook or or uh, Google or wherever yeah. on your right. Bumble profile and, you know, the people you're talking to, the things you're saying. So, I mean, this is just kind of the reality of the modern Internet age. You are the product. I mean, maybe they'll use it for a good thing, like uh, using the DNA to do that, that Conan sketch uh, if they made it. <laughs> do that with yes. your matches sure yeah they definitely won't use it to do gattaca in real life oh no no only good good uses i'm sure 
But uh, we'll see what continues to happen. I'm sure, you know, Whitney Wolf Heard, her net worth will probably go back up as we uh, head into white boy summer and the <laughs> pandemic ends, uh, go above the $1.3 billion. But uh, I want to thank uh, Kate Willett so much for being here with us and uh, providing a feminist perspective on this uh, feminist uh, dating app. Um, and perhaps just uh, one more time, you could, uh, if you have any last thoughts, you could certainly share them with us, but also just tell people where they could find you. And we will certainly provide links to uh, everything that Kate has been involved in in the description for this episode. Um, yeah, just, you know, Twitter, Insta, um, or my audiobook. Also, you can check out, uh, I have a special on Netflix, um, on the comedy lineup, but, uh, you can probably also find me on Hinge, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on there. I'm just still looking. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I want you to message me first. I'm not, <laughs> I put up with enough as a woman. I am not extending myself. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. This episode got many people to uninstall Bumble just so they can find Kate on Hinge. Yeah. <laughs> This is this was really just like Kate came on here to as kind of a way of uh, uh, watering down the number of people on Hinge inspired by Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of. Totally. Look at this. She just came and sat on my lap. Kitty. Aww. <laughs> She's so mad. <laughs> Thanks again so much, Kate. This has been a lot of fun, and thank you to the listeners. You can always check us out on Patreon.com/grubstakers. Uh, I'm Sean P. McCarthy, and we'll see you next time. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Steve Jeffries. I'm Yogi Poiwell. Always swipe left. We're very casual on this show where we talk about some of the darkest things in the world. Hey, man. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, yeah. I need like, to go to the we, bathroom. We keep it casual talking about through the Armenian genocide. <laughs> oh, is everyone is everyone clowning on me? What's going on? No, we were, good. but but you're good now. All right, I'm listening to the raw files. <laughs>